Kairos. This is your moment. Liberty is not man's idea, it's God's idea. We must participate in the public square. This is a moment in time that will define history as we know it, the furtherance of America as we know it. That's a powerful gift, freedom. And we're not gonna bow to tyranny. This isn't me standing, it's us. This is the moment for the body of Christ. We pray that there would be an awakening and a revival in the nation. In Jesus' name, amen. I told you that Fridays were going to be Federer Fridays, but to my right uh, is my guest. It's still Federer Friday. He's yeah, coming on. But I wanted you, Seth, and you know Seth. He's been on the program. But I wanted you, Seth, to join us because talking with Bill uh, later in the program, uh, I want to look at this idea of essential, non-essential, protecting uh, the, the, the least of these yeah. and looking at history and then also this idea of government abuse yeah. that, that has brought us to this place. It's, it's almost as though it's tyranny at its, at its worst and I, I wanted you to be with us because I want to connect you with Bill and I want Bill to connect with you in a greater capacity. So uh, before we get to, to Bill, uh, I've got a couple things I want to talk about and, and this has been hitting the news. Sadly, though, it should be in a greater capacity on every yeah. paper in the country. It should be what every news cycle should be running, but it's hard to find. Yeah. And, it, and, and it's, it's nauseating, it makes me angry, and it's, it's this idea that uh, uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is responsible for mishandling the coronavirus by putting infected patients yeah. uh, into these assisted living facilities and, and literally Yep. Uh, it's murder. Yep, and skewing the numbers, lying about it. Skewing the numbers and lying about it. Here, yep. Just so you understand, here's a clip. Take a look at it, and it'll give you a little more explanation of, of what we're dealing with. Hi, Martha. Well, look, New York State Democratic leaders in the Assembly are reportedly getting ready to move to strip the emergency pandemic powers away from Governor Andrew Cuomo. And it's an effort that's been led by Democratic Assemblyman Ron Kim, who accuses Governor Cuomo of abusing his power of obstruction of justice for purposely withholding nursing home death toll data for months from state lawmakers and the public because of fear of political consequences. So political consequences, he's, he's, he's threatening him. He's saying, look, you, you, do you know who I am, what I can do to you? And, and this, this guy's standing strong. He's just, he's immovable in that regard. But yeah. he placed elderly, COVID-positive elderly patients into nursing homes. Yep, and killed half of them or more. Yeah. Yep. And then if they were taking the elderly citizens to the hospital because of that, and they died on the way or at the hospital, oh, not a nursing home death. Not a nursing Skew home death. Skew the numbers. Yeah. Skew the numbers. And... and and then they covered it up. Yep. And this is this is evident that his secretary uh, accidentally let out that they had covered this up. Yeah. And they withheld life-saving data on the nursing homes. Unreal. And so this guy comes out and he calls him on it. And, he, and he, here's here's the guy, brave. And I love the fact that he 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 uh, puts politics aside to deal in truth. Yeah, he's a Democrat. He's a Democrat. Yeah. Take a look at this clip. Yeah, so it was last Thursday night. Uh, I was about to bathe my three kids when I received a call from the governor. He spent 10 minutes threatening my career and ordering me to issue a statement uh, that would be used to cover for the state secretary. 
The day before that call, the State Secretary, Melissa DeRosa, had implicated his administration by admitting that they withheld life-saving nursing home data because they feared the information would be used against them. Feared the information would be used against it. Well, you're wrong. You did this. Own it. And uh, yet he's been lauded and wanting to be given all kinds of awards for the way he's handled all this, and he's been anything but helpful. And so you see that this has been problematic. Now, this guy steps up. And kind of a whistleblower, and he's threatened right. by Cuomo. Uh, and then, you know, Cuomo comes out in his defense that these are lies and you shouldn't believe them and I wouldn't do anything like that. And then you got, you got Mayor de Blasio, who comes on record in defense, and uh, Democrats are coming out in defense saying, um, yeah, this is a track record for yeah. Cuomo. So uh, this is Mayor de Blasio, and, and take a listen. He is, he's speaking to the character of Governor Cuomo. Yeah, it's a sad thing to say, Mika, but that's classic Andrew Cuomo. Um, a lot of people in New York State have received those phone calls. Uh, you know, the bullying is nothing new. Um, I believe Ron Kim, and it's very, very sad. No public servant, no person who's uh, telling the truth should be treated that way. Um, but yeah, that, the, the threats, the, the belittling... Uh, the demand that someone change their statement right that moment, uh, many, many times. I've heard that, and I know a lot of other people in this state have heard that. So th this, is, this is New York politics at its finest. But we're supposed to trust government. We're supposed to trust yeah. them. And, and as they've destroyed New York and they've just dumped on them. But here's, here's my frustration. Um, and you probably, you probably have the same frustration, I'm assuming. This is, this is evil. It's tragic. Yeah. And, and it's hard to find in the news cycle. Yeah. But if you turn on the news, the thing that's in the cycle over and over again yeah. is not that President Biden, or as I would call him, Bunker Biden, has put a, a lid on you know, any news reports till 8 o'clock this morning, even though 47 people have died in Texas. Wow. And, and it, it is, it's an emergency. I mean, this is like his Katrina, and he's yeah. asleep. And now, oh, oh, okay. We're going to get some generators to you by the end of the week when all the weather, weather changes and the power's back on. Unreal. Unreal. And you can't find it. And instead of addressing the president's response, instead of addressing Cuomo, who do they come after? And granted, I, I think it's bad optics and a bad decision. I consider Ted Cruz to be a friend, but this wasn't his finest moment. But if you look at the news... This is the worst thing right here that Ted Cruz went to Cancun. Yep. I'm like, are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah. And yet Bunker Biden doesn't do anything. Yeah. Well, it's easy to put politics over people, but that's certainly nothing new for the Democratic Party. Politics over people while old patients die from COVID because you don't want the optics. Politics over people with abortion. Yeah. Politics over people, anything that threatens your political power. And that's basically what he was saying. We didn't want this, this news to get out because it was going to hurt our political reputation. Well, and then, and then Cuomo comes out in defense of himself, doesn't acknowledge his wrong, and, and attacks the people who are accusing him of such. Uh, the president come, doesn't come out and say, look, I'm sorry I didn't get the generation to you earlier. But speaking to Ted Cruz's character, he does come out and he does address it. Take a look at this. He's, he's fair that way. And so last night I flew down with them uh, to the beach, uh, and then I flew back this afternoon. I had initially planned to stay through the weekend and to work remotely there, but, but as, I, as I was heading down there, I, you know, I started to have second thoughts almost immediately because the crisis here in Texas 
you need to be here on the ground and as much as you can do by phone and Zoom, it, it's not the same as being here. And so I returned this afternoon and I'm here working to make sure to do everything we can to get the power turned on, but also fundamentally to ask the questions, why did this happen? A senator's job is to get an emergency declaration. That was already secured before he went to Cancun. But still, dude, you don't go to Cancun when all of Texas is freezing. Uh, that's an elitist mindset. I'm glad he came back, but it's sad that he didn't see that to begin with. Mm, let's hope that changes a little bit. And, and his constituents, 47 of them are dead. Here's a couple of articles. This is New York Post. A Texas man reportedly froze to death in his recliner amid the freezing temperatures sweeping through the region. 60-year-old victim who is not identified found dead in his chair Wednesday after his home in Abilene lost power for three days. And uh, he's one of three people that died in that city. The man's wife, 72, was taken to the hospital, probably hypothermia. I mean, it's just tragic. Mm -hmm. Washington Post reports an 11-year-old boy died in an unheated Texas mobile home. Authorities suspect hypothermia. I mean, these are just tragic, and, and uh, yet a uh, boy who fell through the ice, a woman who lost power, 47 deaths tied to these winter storms and counting. Uh, wow. Nothing from Bunker Biden, uh, no relief in sight for the citizens of Texas. Uh, they're refusing to acknowledge that this is um, uh, have, it has anything to do with the failure of the power system and alternative energy. As a matter of fact, right, they're right. doing the judo switch on that. Yeah, yeah. So... This is heartbreaking. This is tyranny. This is elitism. Uh, this is bait and switch, and uh, and 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 devaluing human life. I mean, all of this is in this cycle of yeah. news clips we've seen. Right. And so, with that, we're going to now introduce our guest speaker. And I'm I, I, usually we have a clip from like a Prager University uh, where you know we can show and educate our yeah. our, our viewers. And we're not doing that because our get next guest is going to educate us all. I mean, he, <laughs> right. he is just a walking encyclopedia of not just world history, but yeah. for us, American history. And, and as you and I have been talking back and forth about Jonathan Mayhew, a very significant minister in the history right. of our country. And then also just the context of what you and I were talking about earlier in the week. And we're dealing with essential, non-essential, and especially right. with the life issue. All of these things encapsulate. I can't think of a better guest than the one we have tonight, Bill Federer, historian, <laughs> author, amazing friend. Amen. Let's welcome Bill Federer. Hey, Bill. Oh, Rob, Rob, Seth, great to be with you. You too. Now, yeah. where are you right now? Are you out in Florida? Uh, Fort Lauderdale. Florida. Okay, so you, you've got, you're just on the road continuing speaking. You're at a church tonight. What are you doing? Right, it's a salt and light dinner at the uh, New Presbyterian Church, and they want me to talk about the book on socialism. Oh, which, right on. Awesome. Yeah, which devalues uh, human life. Uh, so that's an interesting topic. Well, Seth and I were talking earlier, and we want to actually cover that. But before we do, I had talked to you about, would you elaborate? Because in the last few broadcasts, I've been bringing up a name, uh, the Reverend Jonathan Mayhew. And uh, you know the significance of him. Can you give uh, our viewers... Um, a historical understanding from your perspective of this critical thinker, amazing pastor, and the significance he had in the role of, well, I'd say the American Revolution, but more importantly, the formulation of the United States itself. 
So during the Middle Ages, there were some priests that didn't like having to submit to the Pope in Rome and so forth. And so they began to make uh, observations and writings. And this became the origins of the understanding of what authority do you submit to and what authority do you not submit to. And so this was popular among the Reformation movement. Uh, for those not familiar, uh, I've researched uh, every century since the beginning of the invention of writing and the most common form of government's a king. Kings rule top down through fear. You do what they say or they kill you. So from Nimrod and Pharaohs and Caesars and Kaisers, and they keep getting bigger and bigger until you had the kings of Europe and ultimately the king of England. And uh, the Protestant Reformation began to understand this idea that goes back to ancient Israel, which is like, sticks out like a, uh, a total anomaly in world history where you have a nation all of a sudden uh, around 1400 BC with no king. And it works because every citizen is taught the law. Every citizen is valuable in the eyes of God. Every citizen is responsible to live the law and teach the law and to enforce the law. I love that. And um, anyway, so here you have these uh, colonial pastors in America. Uh, and uh, Jonathan Mayhew sort of encapsulates all of the teachings ahead of time and brings it to the forefront. And he is a very eloquent speaker and he's friends with the founding fathers, James Otis, uh, who lit the fuse of John Adams uh, during the Stamp Act controversy. And so uh, one of the people that was friends with Jonathan Mayhew was Samuel West. And he worded it like this. He said the same principle which requires that we submit to a godly government requires that we do not submit to an ungodly government. Hmm. What an interesting. And so Jonathan Mayhew uh, took this and, and it was this concept that you submit to the authority as long as the authority is submitted to God. Scripturally, children are supposed to obey their parents. Yet in the law, it says, do not prostitute your daughter. Hmm. Well, what if you have a reprobate father that right. wants his daughter to go out and sell herself, which is still going on today? Uh, right. My daughter went on a mission trip to Thailand and the pretty girls, when they get to be teenagers, are, are told to go off the farm into the big city and prostitute themselves and send money back to the family. And the YWAM ministry that would witness to these girls would, you know, get them saved. And not only would they give up their prostitution, they would be giving up their family because all of a sudden their family that was happy to get these large, you know, amounts of money coming, the money's not coming anymore. And so uh, it was very touching to my daughter. She'd say, I, I know Jesus three months. How long you know Jesus? And they would sing their songs and they'd cry and, and they'd weave little baskets that they would try to sell wow. uh, the Tamar Center, you know, to people in America to try to make a few dollars to live off of. But so here's the Bible. Children are supposed to obey their parents, but what if the parent tells the kid to go out and prostitute themselves? Is the child supposed to obey the parent in that case? Well, obviously not. What if the parent tells them to go out and steal or kill or uh, sell drugs? No, so the child submits to the parents and the father as long as the father submitted to God. And this is what's applied to the role of the king. So the uh, Jonathan Mayhew, uh, elaborates. He says that everything in nature follows laws. 
man just has the choice as to follow the laws. In the garden, man followed the laws of God, and it was great. But when Adam sinned, all of a sudden, you have fallen, selfish human nature that wants to oppress people and do all kinds of evil things. And so somehow you need to restrain the evil that's in the heart of man. And since there's no angels on earth to govern us, all we have is other evil men. And so the idea is you would have to set up governments. One of the founding fathers says, uh, I think it was Jefferson, but he says that the dilemma is this, or Madison, you have to, the people need to give up enough authority to create a government to restrain evil, but the people need to retain enough power to keep the government in check. Because the same criminal that will rob your house, what if they get into public office and they want to use the power of the state to rob your house? Yep. So, so the founding fathers, uh, Jonathan Mayhew, was, uh, was very eloquent in elaborating on these topics. So the purpose of government is to uh, secure people in their blessings from God, not their blessings of protection, their possessions, and their freedoms. And so this order that is a uh, necessity uh, that kings were supposed to carry out. They were supposed to protect the rights given by God. And the founding fathers eventually in the declaration listed 27 reasons how the king was forfeiting and violating his obligations to defend the rights of the people. And therefore, the, the people in America had a right to rebel against the king. Yeah. And but this is all elaborated by uh, Jonathan Mayhew. And in his 1750 uh, speech, he, he gave one called the uh, the broken snare and another uh, was on uh, submission to authority. And at the same time he's speaking uh, or giving his sermons, you have James Otis, an attorney, and he uh, speaks against the writs of assistance. And uh, an explanation, what's that? Um, after the French and Indian War, the British left troops on American soil uh, to make sure that they were here to fight the British, uh, or the French, rather. And there were no barracks. And so the, those British soldiers would have to live in people's houses. It's called quartering. And they would have to tax the colonies to pay for these British soldiers. And they didn't want anybody plotting things, so they would read everyone's correspondence. So there was no privacy, sort of like reading your emails and tracking. And the government could arrest anybody at any time on a suspicion and, and keep them in jail indefinitely and confiscate all their property just on a suspicion, sort of like being suddenly deplatformed. And so <laughs> James Otis said, this is wrong. And it was a like a six hour long legal challenge in court. And John Adams was a young attorney in Boston sitting in the balcony of the courtroom and it lit his fuse. And he says, it was that sermon that um, uh, birthed what became the revolution. But James Otis, sort of interesting, he had a young um, legal uh, apprentice named William Hooper and who eventually signed the declaration. Uh, but his dad was the pastor at the church immediately before Jonathan Mayhew became the pastor of that particular church. And so he was 
carrying. So Mayhew was sort of taking all the courage and wisdom and insight uh, of these other leaders and speakers, and he uh, embodied it in a, a very understandable way that the founding fathers were all influenced by. So now these these rights are enumerated, they're laid out, uh, there, there's a, a scriptural defense for it. The the populace of the colonies starts to realize the tyranny of the king. They lay out the reasons for this separation. Uh, the American Revolution begins, and we secure these blessings. And then the idea is for future generations, for our posterity. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, it goes on to say for, to secure liberty for our children, our posterity. And, and now, here we are, what, 244 years later from the Declaration of Independence and since the signing of the, the Constitution or the development of the U.S. Constitution, what, 1787, here we are over 200 years of, uh, uh, of a history of a nation un, unequaled in its freedom. And, and now we're watching, Bill, and, and Seth and I were lamenting over this, that the government is now playing a role in saying what is essential, who is essential, who is not essential, who can worship, who cannot worship. This is, this is contrary to the history that you just laid out. And tyrants want to split people. And even as we were talking about early Christians in the catacombs, but they were the ones caring for these children that were left on the streets. Right. And, and they saw value in, the, in humanity but it was pagan cultures that decided to say some were essential, some were not. Can you give us and elaborate historically some of the things that, that the two of us were discussing earlier uh, to, to give context, and, and, and especially where we are today? There's a great quote from Dwight Eisenhower. He said, in some countries, the state claims to be the author of human rights. If the state gives rights, it can and inevitably will take away those rights. Right. So wherever you have a totalitarian uh, dictator, um, throughout history, they would claim to be the intermediary between heaven and the common people down below. So right. even King James says, kings are God's lieutenants upon earth. And so they would say, you submit to me, otherwise you're rebelling against God. Right. Well, socialism comes along and it gets rid of God and it makes the state God. And not just theoretically. Uh, Hegel, the German philosopher, said the state is God walking on earth. The state is our mortal God. All the worth that a human being he possesses, he possesses only through the state. Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who wrote the social contract, said, if the state says to an individual, it is expedient for the state that you should die, that individual should die because his life is a gift made conditionally by the state. So we've gone from these kings claiming to be God's lieutenants to the state claiming to be God and saying that if you rebel against them, you're... Uh, and so this is um, critical, and it go, all goes back to the value of human life. Uh, if there's a God and you're made in his image, then he imputes worth to you, yeah. now, irregardless of if you're friends with the deep state ruling class, irregardless yeah. if you're friends with royalty, irregardless if you're... Um, a Muslim male, uh, or if you're in the highest caste in India, or if you're uh, a Buddhist male. Matter of fact, when my uh, daughter was on the mission trip over there in Thailand, she says the women would have to walk behind the men 
And she said that they tell these young prostitute girls, if you're a really good prostitute in your next life, you get to be reincarnated as a man. My wife said, that's from going from bad to worse. (laughs) But but women are always treated bad. There is no equality. And so, but in America, you are equal, not because you're a Muslim male or a Brahmin, or if you're useful to the state, you're equal. You're equal because you are made in the image of God. That's right. And case closed, a male and female are made in the image of God. And so that God imputes worth to us. It's not belonging to some race or some class or or whatever intersectionality or wokeness or whatever it is nowadays. You as a human being are made in the image of God. And since everybody is made in his image, we are all equal. Right. So, I mean, to, to cite sort of an overquoted uh, quote, Bill, you know, it says, if we forget the lessons of history, we're doomed to repeat them. And so maybe you can talk to a little bit about uh, not just the, 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 the horror of abortion on demand in America as we deny the natural right to life to actual image bearers of God, but maybe talk to sort of the utilitarian danger of, of attacking the first and most important of all natural rights. I mean, this is something that Lincoln understood, right? He, he understood that southern states, by refusing to protect the slaves' natural rights, were actually putting in place the premises that would justify their own enslavement, right? As Hadley Ark says, uh, man is not by nature the ruler of men in the way that man is by nature the ruler of dogs and horses, and God was by nature the ruler of men. There's a natural order. There's a recognition of where these rights come from. And as long as you continue to attack the foundation, <laughs> the founding ideals that this republic is built upon, well, the whole republic's eventually going cr- cr- to crumble into pieces because it's a house built on sand. And so t- talk about maybe where you see our country going in its downward spiral. Can, can, in, in other words, are we seeing the deterioration of all of our other rights because we've turned our back on the unborn's natural right to life for nearly 49 years. You know, you're uh, right on. And what comes to mind is a quote from George Washington. And it was from the 110 rules of civility that he hand copied as a child. And one of them said, strive to keep alive that little spark of celestial fire called conscience. And so if we examine conscience, When someone commits a crime, they're actually deadening their conscience. And what is the worst crime? It's killing an innocent person. And so when you kill an innocent person, knowledgeably knowing what you're doing, uh, then you are actually killing your conscience. You no longer have any compass of what's right or what's wrong. You have no longer any bearing of trying to please God and uh, where he says that thou shalt not murder. And, and, and so what happens is when a crime is committed and you don't know about it, you cannot be held accountable for it. A, a just God cannot hold you accountable for, for something you didn't know about. But right. if you know about it and the Bible said, or the in legal terms, you are an accomplice. If you know about a crime, that is taking place and you do nothing to stop it or intervene or call the police or anything, your silence is giving consent to it. In law, silence equals consent. Like the old wedding ceremonies where the pastor says, anybody against this wedding, speak now or forever hold your peace. If you're sitting there silent, your silence is giving consent to the wedding. And so so if when the crime of abortion, when David Delighted and, and the others made public that Planned Parenthood 
is uh, harvesting baby body parts. And yeah. some of the testimonies are that the babies are still alive, that they want to take the, the beating heart and rush it to the yeah. laboratory and, and they get more money for that. And so when the nation knows about this and the nation is silent and lets it continue and you have a Republican Congress led by Paul Ryan, who approved $500 million funding for Planned Parenthood after this became public, and Mitch McConnell in the Senate approving f funding of, a, of half a billion dollars, $500 million, um, right. to continue to fund Planned Parenthood. What you have is you have the, the nation being aware of this crime and continuing to fund it. What does that mean? That means we are all guilty of it. And that means a just God can justly judge our nation Right. And so that's where we're at. It's serious. And what do we do when you're under under judgment is you repent really fast. And mm -hmm. all liberties individual, yeah. all repentance is individual. Right. That's a good word, Bill. Bill, with uh, w with the understanding of the severity that, that we've overlooked or we've given consent by our silence in relation to abortion, the one thing that people push back on when you, when, when like Seth or myself, we stand in, in defense of the unborn, they say, well, you only care about children when they're in the womb, but not out of the womb, which is, is wholly untrue. And historically speaking, and even now, as we look at the data, Christians are the ones that have been caring for the orphans. We've been caring for the foster children. We adopt at a higher rate than the rest of humanity. This has been true throughout history. Am I correct? Yes, and we can also observe that those that are willing to kill the baby in the womb are willing to be silent when there's sex trafficking going on. Yeah. And to, uh, to be silent when they are abusing kids, teaching them perverted sexual agendas. You know, yeah. Jesus himself, the, the, the Christ that from which all Christians come from, right? Jesus Christ, uh, he said... In the beginning, God made them male and female. Right. So he defined it. He affirmed it. Uh, and so they're trying to guilt trip Christians into being more Christian than Christ. What do I mean? Well, they're saying, if you're really Christian, you'll tolerate them teaching this agenda in the school. Question, would Jesus teach that? No, he wouldn't. But Jesus went so far as to say, if you allow one of these little ones that believes in me to stumble, better that a millstone be put around your neck and it'll be thrown in the depths of the sea. So they're, they're wanting to have us be saying, if you're really Christian, you'll tolerate it and, and you'll get a millstone put around your neck. Um, right. Jesus was very loving to those who were humble and repentant. Jesus right. was very tough to those who were prideful and very um, firm in their uh, evil ways. And we miss that in the gospels. Uh, you read the Gospels through, you know, you obviously have. And, but if you look at it from a different angle, almost every other conversation he's in ends in him, uh, people wanting to shove him off the cliff, his first sermon, right? Or they pick up stones to stone him. Or he's invited to somebody's dinner and they notice that he didn't wash his hands you know, you and I would sort of be quiet. Well, he, Jesus turns and says, you Pharisees are more concerned about the outside of the cup and not the inside. And he lays into the host. And then the yeah. lawyer says, well, by saying that, you're insulting us attorneys. And he goes, let me tell you about your lawyers. You hear burdens on people too heavy to carry. You don't even lift a finger yourself. I mean, it could be considered, uh, you know, that, that here he was invited over for dinner and 
and the chapter ends. And you wonder if they ever got around to eating. <laughs> I mean, they probably got, you know, but, but the Jesus that we serve to the humble and the repentant, he was as loving as can be. But to right. the prideful, uh, the religiosity, the, he was tough. And yeah. we have to understand that we're not, there's a, a verse, Proverbs, I'm sorry, Leviticus 19:17, if I remember correctly, which says, confront your neighbor when they are in sin, otherwise you will be a partaker of their sin. Hmm. And it's, it's, a, it's uncomfortable confronting people. Yeah. Uh, but but if wow. you see them doing something that's wrong, and ancient Israel was a model that was set up where there were no police. It was like right. every, every citizen in ancient Israel was deputized and everybody participated <laughs> yeah. in enforcing the laws. Right. And, if, and if you didn't enforce it, your silence was giving consent. But here's Leviticus wow. 19.17. It says, confront your neighbor lest you partake in their the guilt of their sin. Right. And then, of course, Proverbs 24 uh, that applies so particularly in this case. It yeah. says, if you see the innocent being carried away to death and you say, uh, and you act like you don't yeah. see it, God, God knows sees. that you knew yes, and he will right. hold he you knows. accountable. And he will judge you. Yeah, yeah. So he's a God yeah, of the heart. Amen. You've talked before, Bill, about how this, this idea of complicity, we're actually more complicit in America simply because we have greater um, political power. Right? Who has more greater political power to shape the country around Judeo-Christian worldviews and ideals than American citizens Right, in a constitutional republic where we the people are the sovereign? But uh, maybe you could speak to uh, sort of the power of normalization. So Christians have been saving these babies who were unwanted after birth, who have been exposed to the elements and thrown into the forest by the Romans. We have this ethnically diverse early church because they're saving unwanted babies because they're going to threaten what the economic security of the family. And here we are as Christians saving these children after birth. Now we're, we're abandoning them before birth uh, because we don't want to be labeled political. Um, but the, the same ideas that drove Christians to save abandoned newborns is the same thing that should drive us to save abandoned unborn children because there's no magical personhood conferring fairy dust that's sprinkled on the baby as it exits the birth canal. It's obviously the same baby. It's the same individual. And yet the church is still silent and the church is allowing this and we don't preach on it and we don't call our congregation to repent and to stand outside these centers and save these children simply because of, what do they say, our witness. And we don't want to be labeled political. So uh, talk about the power of normalization and, and, and the problem of syncretism, I guess, right? The church just being silent because of it's, it's, it's uh, culturally unpopular to speak out against abortion. And kind of what should we respond to as the church in America today? Well, those are great questions, and one thing comes I, to I got, mind. I got lost about halfway through the question. It was the longest question I've ever heard in my whole life. Go ahead. You know, we are seeing the political movement to go back into the history, and anybody that had anything to do with slavery is being removed. There are yeah. statues being taken down, the schools being renamed and everything, and it, it can't be... Uh, ignored that as science improves the baby's life as a separate human being is more confirmed. It has its own brain waves, its own DNA, its own fingerprints. It's, uh, it is a totally, you, it is no longer a part of the mother's body. It's not an appendage or it's not the, it's no longer the mother's body. It's a brand new body inside of the mother's body, but it is a separate. And the public is 
uh, moving in the direction of being more pro-life. And at some point in the future, the majority of the people are going to be pro-life and they're going to look back in history and say, that politician, uh, they were in favor of killing babies, a human being, and they'll want to tear their statues down. And they'll want to take their names off the school. Why? Because they were pro-abortion. They were pro-choice. Right. They were like, wow. it's like, we're going to understand that how could this politician right. be so, and, and they said, well, he did all these other good things. It's like, well, here, we'll tear his statue down because he did this one thing. He owned a slave. He was, he right. voted for abortion. Yeah. He, I haven't, I haven't you know, thought one of, the, of it that way with the destruction of the statues. Yeah. But. You know, one of the things I uh, can't help uh, in this researching of the slavery issue is prior to the Civil War, the country was divided into five categories. Uh, you have the extreme radical Republican North that said slavery is wrong, end it now, right, Lincoln. Then you had the moderate Republican North that said slavery is wrong, but we got to transition out of it over time. Uh, you don't want to push uh, an uneducated former slave out onto the street where they can't earn a living, you know. And then you had the neutral middle ground that wanted to avoid social issues like slavery. And then you had the moderate Democrat South that said slavery's wrong, but we got to live with it. It's been here for centuries. Just treat your slave nice. Have it be rare and few. And then you had the extreme Democrat South that said slavery's good. Let's expand it into the new territories coming into the union from the Louisiana Purchase and the Mexican secession. Let's force the people in the North who hate slavery to participate in it with the fugitive slave law. So if, if they see a neighbor trying to sneak a slave to freedom, they got to snitch on their neighbor. Well, guess what? Today, the country is divided into five categories. You have the radical Republican that says abortion's wrong, end it now. And then you have these rhinos that say, ah, let's take our time, you know, we don't get a heart. And then the moderate people in the middle that don't care about social issues. And then you have the, right. the Democrat, the moderate Democrat that says, um, well, abortion's wrong, but let's have it be rare and few and safe. And, and then the extreme Democrats that says right. abortion is good. Let's expand it. Let's have the United Nations spread it all around the world to these poor third world countries that are being uh, killed by ISIS or whatever, saying we're not going to give you any help unless you push abortion. Um, let's push it in the schools. Let's set up Planned Parenthood clinics in the schools and, and force these little sisters of the poor uh, to have to fund it, even though they've taken vows of charity. Um, yeah. It's very similar. And it was, Abra it was Ronald Reagan who said, uh, in the Human Life Review, Reagan said, yeah. Lincoln recognized that we could not survive as a free land when some men decide that others are not fit to be free and should be slaves. Right. Likewise, we cannot survive as a free land when some men decide that others are not fit to live and should be abandoned to abortion. Amen. Yeah. It, it's, it's a critical component. Bill, I, I know you've got a full schedule ahead of you, and I know you've gone over to spend time with us but I, I want to say thank you for giving us insights into these topics, and, and especially the historical context that you provide has been a great blessing. And, and I've told the, the folks that I want Fridays to be Federer Fridays so that you, uh, you'll give a chance to give us some historical perspective. And, and not only that, Bill, one of the things I adore about you, among many, is that you, you bring, you, you bring a, a scriptural insight and a blessing whenever you teach. You always bring it back to Christ, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. And, and um, you're a wonderful gift to us and to all who are viewing and countless others who've been blessed by the, the teachings God's entrusted to you. So thank you, Bill, for all that. Do you want to pray for us before we head out? 
Sure. Um, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Rob uh, and Michelle. And Lord, I thank you for uh, Seth and his wife. What's her name again? Olivia. 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 Yeah. And uh, uh, she was pregnant when I was out there in California. Did she? Did you have your baby? Yeah, on December 3rd, yeah. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and, and so, Lord, bless Seth and Olivia and their baby and uh, all those that are watching right now, God. And I know it's not by accident that they're watching. Um, may you touch their lives, uh, those that are facing struggles. Uh, Lord, heal their bodies, heal their marriages, heal their finances, do miracles even right now. Turn yes. the bad situation into a good one. And, Lord, we pray for our country. We've had our umbrella taken away. We've had our protective leadership taken away. And now these issues are coming down hard on each yes. state, each city, each church, each, each individual. And Lord, uh, I know that you know that this is going on and you're putting us into a position of having to choose. But you're great. Your grace is sufficient. Amen. And the church was the Church of Jesus Christ was birthed into a one-world anti-Christian government, the Roman Empire. Lord, you're not afraid of one-world anti-Christian governments. And so we thank you for your Holy Spirit giving us strength and courage and boldness and that you've chosen us to be alive at this hour to, to proclaim your goodness and your love to a lost and dying world. Amen. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Bill. Amen. That blesses us. And um, I, I'm, I'm, I'll connect with you next week so we can have you on uh, for the Federer Fridays. I mean, it's going to be your own segment, so you better like get excited about it. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Thank All right. you, Bill. We'll, we'll bless you, Bill. And uh, not, not just Federer Fridays, but uh, we, we, we need you to come out from the East Coast to the West Coast so we can see in person and have you preach from the pulpit. So plan on that, please, sooner <laughs> than later. I look forward to it. All right. Bless you. Good night. All right. So the article is kind of lengthy. I know I wanted to read it in its entirety. I, I did say that. But I, I think what we'll do is I'm going to give there, – there's six points in this article. It's complete satire as to why every pastor in the country right. should require their congregants to wear a mask and practice social distancing. But we'll give the link to the article. But this is a great one to end with because the satire is – Satire is a really good teaching instrument. Yeah, yeah. And today you have to say it's satire yeah, yeah. or it has, else it's, taken down. It's satire, everybody. <laughs> so take a look at this article. It's from Reformed Hope. It's six reasons every pastor should require mass and social distancing in church. And he says, I've said it before, navigating pastoral ministry is tricky business, but one thing that you can take to the bank is that requiring mass and social distancing at church is an outstanding pastoral decision. The nice thing is that you don't really have to think about it. The government and health experts have already done all the thinking for you. Your job is to do what they say. But just in case you're still unsure, and if you should require churchgoers to wear masks and social distance, here are six reasons why every pastor should require these wise and loving measures. And so here are the six. These are the, the titles of each of the paragraphs. He goes into hilarious uh, commentary on it. But number one, You'll be fitting in and helping others to fit in, too. Number two, you'll encourage everyone to trust the government. Number three, by binding the conscience of all believers, you will weed out dangerous independent <laughs> thinkers from your church. Four, you'll be showing your support for government-mandated shutdown of your congregants' businesses. <laughs> Five, you will help Christians understand true science 
And six, you will ensure unity by making everyone act the same way. <laughs> it's like Stalin, you, you know, unity by conformity. Yep. Unity is the absence of dissent. Oh, yep, so, right. yeah, I, 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 think that's, uh, <laughs> I, I think that's a funny one to end on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, again, blessings to Bill and his help with us yeah. tonight. And, uh, folks, that's a, a funny one. Check out the article. Go take a look at it. But we're going to close tonight. Bill already prayed for us, but I, I want to bless you with numbers six. And so this is our tradition, and this is for you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. So thanks for joining us. We'll see you Monday of next week. We're going to take a break. Uh, it's been a full week, and this is, this is a full week of Vintage McCoy. Yeah. We'll be around next week. Good launch. Yeah, yeah. Well, God bless you guys. Thanks for joining us. See you Monday.